Careful, Jarvis. That's a 5,000-year-old sarcophagus. My word, Jarvis, bring over your lantern. Dear Lord, there's a podcast in here. Geekly Yoked is a proud member of the Crossover Nexus. To find more blogs and podcasts about the intersection of faith and pop culture, check out crossovernexus.com. Tell them Bilbo sent you. So many ways to say I love you in different languages across the land. You haven't heard them all, so I'll tell you as only a true geek can. Hello and welcome to Geekly Oak, the world's best married Christian geek podcast. As always, I'm Lehman Kessler. And I'm Rachel Kessler. That's Mother Rachel Kessler. And it has been a while. It's been so long that I think I'm actually a priest in the Episcopal Church now. There we go. Uh, Apparently the final report has not been filed. Okay, well. Still pending. I am a priest here in the Diocese of Ohio and the chaplain at Kenyon College. While Kenyon is in session for like a week? It's a 12-month position. Fair enough. Are you doing anything officially over the over the summer? Planning? Will you be tending to the poor students trapped here with the cicadas? They will be trapped here with cicadas. We will all be trapped here with cicadas. We are escaping to Toronto, however. Oh yes, but we're still going to hit like Oh, we will still have the cicadas. I don't know how I don't know how much the cicadas are around in the summer. Mm. Apparently there's some concern that they'll still be around in August, so <laughs> maybe there will be a lot of cicadas. Um yay cicadas. There is there is pastoral care to be done over social media. There we go. Uh, you know all about that. Uh, what have you been doing in your geek uh, month, month and a half? It's Mo- <laughs> a month and a half. Or I, I guess the last podcast we did was like in Holy Week, wasn't it? It, it was literally us watching Tyler the Perry's li- The Passion. Oh. Month and a half. <laughs> uh, we have been very busy. It has been a busy time, ladies and we gentlemen. We went. We took some students to Nashville for the Association of Episcopal Colleges conference. Yes. We had parental visits. Well, we visited my parents, and then your parents visited here. And then yes. I ran off to California for the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, and then you ran off to Geneva on the Lake. Yes, clergy conference. So it's and it's just been very. Very busy. It's been a hectic time. But we are back. We're here for you. Until we run off to Toronto. <laughs> it's true. We'll try to figure out some pre-recorded content for that. It's been it's been a lot going on. There's been a lot going on. Uh, but uh, talk of cicadas and notions of life and death and rebirth. Well, no, mostly it's that what I did do in the intervening month and a half, which is I finished the third season of Sleepy Hollow and it was the worst and it led me into a spiral of anger and despair and outrage that a show has just so epically burned the goodwill of its fan base. Whoa, there is a <laughs> lot to unpack in that. Rachel? It hurt me! It hurt me deeply! Have you been spending too much time on Twitter? I may have been following episodes of Sleepy Hollow on the Ickaby hashtag on Twitter. What, what, and Why is it Ickaby? <laughs> why is it not Ickababby? Because Ickababby would be so much better. <laughs> Too many syllables? Ickababby. No, Ickaby. How is Ickababby formed? Ickaby. All right. Um, anyway, it just, so, so Sleepy Hollow, for those who have not been following the doings of Geekly Yoked over the last three years now, three I guess. Years, four years, I don't even know. Um, is uh, Sleepy Hollow was a, a delightful, a delightful glimmer of weird wonderfulness that appeared on the Fox network. And it was, it was whimsical and it was wonderful and it relied, it worked. It held together its absurd premise of Ichabod Crane suddenly rising from the dead in modern day Sleepy Hollow from the Revolutionary War with the, like, just incredible chemistry of its two lead actors. And unfortunately for the writers of the show, who were invested in these two lead actors being purely platonic companions, these two lead actors had amazing chemistry. And so they had to destroy that in the ensuing seasons of the show, sidelining the character of Lieutenant Abby, sorry, Lieutenant Abby Mills, to the sideline and focus on the not people of color characters. Right. And it oh, was yeah. super problematic. And then in the third season, they swore they were going to do better, but they just 
I don't know. They just like refuse to have Ichabod and Abby in like the same scene, same scenes more than like twice an episode. And it was really frustrating. And like, and like, it's a show that's sort of talking about how these two characters have this bond that transcends time and space and refusing to make that romantic. Is it that they're trying to build up to some like eventual, like they don't want to like. No, because, because then they killed her. Oh. Did I not t- have I not to- told you this? Spoiler sorry, alert. Sorry. We might need to have add a spoiler alert. Oh, well, don't worry. There'll be spoiler alerts all up in the uh, description. Um, yeah. Had I not told you that? Uh, you might have. It's hard to follow. And people <laughs> on that show, I guess, well, that's a, I, that's a good question. How good are they at killing someone and keeping them dead? Um. Because I know they sent her off to like. I guess it's like they did send her off to like a weird other dimension at the mid-season break, which is apparently when she was actually supposed to die. And then they decided to not actually kill her. Oh. Which sort of explains why the second half of the season had this weird like wheel spinny quality to it. Oh, okay. That is weird. Yeah. So like not only did they kill her, they kill. I mean, the the show, I would say it when it actually kills people, it keeps them dead. Okay. People get like trapped in purgatory and like sort of quasi killed or like their souls yeah but like they they did the whole like soul obliterating thing um maybe not soul obliterating thing i i I have to clarify that i have not watched this episode because it aired when we were in nashville at that conference and you were and i just looked up to see what twitter was saying about it and Twitter told me what happened, and I was like, I cannot, I refuse, I refuse to watch this. Um, so I've not actually seen it, but so I don't know exactly what happened. All I know is that she, like, seriously, seriously, seriously dead. And Mostly uh, dead. that she has a conversation with Ichabod where it's, like, all about him and all the people who have been in his life to, like, aid him on his journey. So, like, not only do they kill her, they make her the supporting character to his larger narrative. Uh, which is just problematic on so many levels, particularly as she is an African-American woman. And I don't know, it, it's just, it's such a, like, again, it's a show that just epically squandered the goodwill of its audience. And to see a show making decisions and choices that are just outraging the fan base is was, was sort of like watching a train wreck and I mean, I guess it, it raises larger questions about like what role, like what obligation do content creators have to actually pleasing their fans, which I think is is a bigger is a bigger, broader question that we could raise. But I mean, I think there is something when it feels like like Sleepy Hollow as someone watching the show and someone watching the show who was somewhat invested in an eventual romantic pairing between Ichabod and Abby. Ichababby. Ichababby. It could be. It could be. It could be. <laughs> it was just so frustrating to watch this, and it felt like it felt like the writers were like actively going out of their way to just like taunt oh. the the shippers. Okay. Like like if they were gonna kill Abby, why did they have to introduce in the the third season a new romantic interest for her, so that she actually like not only didn't get together with Ichabod and died. But got together with another guy, yeah, with whom who was just completely useless, and with whom she had no chemistry, and like, yeah, it just it just felt like not only are we not going to put these two characters together, we're going to, um, and it also felt like the whole season was shaped up to tease, like they were they were putting some things in place to make it look like they were actually moving toward an Ichabod and Abby relationship, like when Ichabod was dating this other character in the first half of the season and she breaks up with him because he's obviously too in love with Abby. Mm. And she sees it and says that she thinks he's ready for a relationship, but not with her. And you're like, they're building, they're going in that direction. And then no, no, like epically, like massively. And and like, and again, if they were going to kill her, how hard would it have been? If they were going to kill her, if there was not going to be any relationship between them, could they not have just like had them confess their feelings for each other before she died? Why did they have to? Anyway, I'm, I have a podcast. I have a venue for going on any kind of yes. self-indulgent rants that I want to. What is this? What is this good listeners? But a chance for me to go on my own self-indulgent rants, but that like, it just, it makes me very upset. I have many feelings and I have not had anyone to talk to about it. Cause I know literally no one else who watches this show. Except for Twitter. 
which is why I was on Twitter. There we go. Well, and we were trying to figure but out. I can't talk to Twitter. It's true. You sort of just sort of shout. I'm a I'm a vortex. Well, no, but like I don't even like I'm very. I tend to be very introverted on social media. Oh, I see. Okay. I don't. I don't jump into phrase like you do. Fair enough. I I save that best. for venues where I can monologue. <laughs> yeah, there's something for that. Uh, while I did not know the specifics of this, I definitely picked up on the passion, mm. which is why we were interested in trying to springboard off of uh, this discussion into. Uh, into a larger conversation. And, and I'm interested in, I do at some point want to talk about like shipping, because uh, we've talked a little bit about love and things like that, but I don't think we've ever really gotten into like shipping and the culture of shipping. Do you want to go into shipping? We could do that. Uh, let's take a fear, let's take a 180. Oh, okay. So given, yes. the, the, given the amount of of preparation that we ever do for this podcast, hello, kind audience. Uh, we appreciate you. All right, let's let's do, ju- let's. do we want to just jump into that? Let's jump into shipping. We were going to talk about death, but you know, eh, eh. There we go. Uh, so shipping is this bizarre. I may have rewritten my sermon at nine fifteen this morning to draw parallels between the Ascension and the musical Hamilton. It was very well received. This is the way we roll here at Equally Yoked. Truth. Shipping feels like a fairly. At least the concept of shipping now feels like it was beginning to be developed while we were here in college. Like, I started to, like, hear people talk about this idea of shipping yes. and taking characters and, like, essentially taking the action figures of the characters you like and making them kiss. Yes. And... I seem to remember this began, like, Mulder and Scully. That's precisely... I feel like was the first major shipping phenomenon well, I definitely would I I recall, <laughs> and I recall it being talked about at Kenyon. And then I recall it involving someone at Kenyon. I do not remember who, but someone with whom we were vaguely acquainted was really intent on there being a Game of Thrones movie. Yes. Uh, and Gillian Anderson playing Caitlin Stark. Uh, there was that. There but was... that person was a really big Mulder Scully shipper as well. It was... Uh, and I do not remember who it was. I, I can't remember, but I didn't remember exactly this yes. thing because, like, I think we found their blog or something. It wasn't Game of Thrones. It was Vorkos again. Oh, it was again. Yes. And, and uh, Cordelia. Cordelia was to going to be Cordelia. Gillian Anderson. Right. And yes. Tom and I, Tom Kolar, uh, you know, power listener Tom Kolar, uh, was Hi, talking Tom. about, oh, that makes sense. That works. And then scroll down and saw for Errol Vorkos again, David Duchovny. And he went, right. wait, hold, hold <laughs> up. Wait a minute. I call shenanigans. And that was sort of, yeah, that was kind of the first time I began hearing shipperdom sort of referred to, and usually in a kind of derogatory sense, this idea of... Well, that you're taking two existing characters and trying to make them kiss, and it might be characters that have no actual uh, established relationship in canon. Yes. Because one of the things I have discovered in my occasional flitting forays around fandom communities sure. is that there is a hierarchy of fandoms and if one's uh, OTP, as it were, yes. is actually canon, it becomes like a one-upping trump card. Mm. Am I allowed to say trump card anymore? Yes. Are we, like, no, we, can, we don't have a better term for that yet. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, well, and it was funny because, so I was watching... Um, I was watching this this Star Wars uh, and sci-fi review uh, show, and it had a, it had an episode which was talking about uh, the ships in Star Wars. I was like, oh, like that's a cool like talking about spaceships, I guess. <laughs> but no, it was talking. It, it didn't like if you just clicked on it, it looked like it was talking about right. spaceships, but it was talking literally about relationships. Right. Uh, and I thought that was a clever trap <laughs> for for people. Um, but comparing the relationships in. Uh, in in A New Hope with uh, Force Awakens. Right. And talking about, like, how the relationships work and who's, like, caring for whom and, and you know, who's yeah. trying to rescue whom and whatnot. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting, talking about shipping and blah, 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 and do you ship, you know, f- you know Ray and Finn or, or Finn and Poe, or you know, like, all this stuff. But it made The a, internet does want Finn and Poe. It, it's, well... The internet they, is crying out. They want each other. So that is why it, <laughs> you know, it's just kept cottoning on to that. But... What was then fascinating was he then applied this idea to the prequels. Oh. And talked about the problem with the prequels is there is no relationship in the same way. Like there's sort of this Anakin, Amidala relationship, but there's not that sense of we have to go and rescue blah, blah, blah. Such and such is in danger. 
you know, like and that's, that like the people don't care about each other, or like the the, the action not, is not driven based on relationships. Yep, yeah, that the action is okay. not based on relationship. You know, in in a New Hope, they're going to rescue Leia. Right. You know, like that make that's a big part of it. And then in Empire Strikes Back, Han is rescuing Luke, and then Luke goes to rescue right. Han. In Return of the Jedi, they're rescuing uh, Han from Jabba, and then they are, and then Luke is going to rescue his father. Like it's right. all about like. Like, yeah, their their feelings are putting them in danger, right? This is. Can I go on another little mini rant that doesn't quite have anything uh, to do with what we're talking about? Y- yes. Okay, so I get annoyed because George Lucas went on about how like Star Wars is the family saga, and he wanted you know the prequels were the prequels because it was the story of Anakin and it was the story of the Skywalker family and it was that the family epic story yes. drama, right? And. People have complained that the Force Awakens movies are too Skywalker centric. Sure. Or or that they're about these yeah. characters and and who is Rey's father and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't I genuinely have no problem with all the Star Wars movies just being about the Skywalker family. Okay. Like there is something to be said for epic sagas where you follow a family through generations, which is really powerful and cool. And, like, you know, Norse sagas, for crying out loud. But the problem is the prequels were terrible stories. And well, they didn't yes. actually play with any of the relationships. <laughs> and they were, like, empty, hollow husk shells devoid of emotion. And and that was what was being got at. Like, so there's, there is no sort of... Who like, on you, George <laughs> Lucas? I actually agree with you, but you do not, like, give us satisfying narratives even on your own terms. Although people did point out I'm that I'm sorry, I'm full of thoughts. You have a, well, you've not been on the you have not been I've able not to vent. been able to vent in a long time. You've been, so. you've been sitting on Sleepy Hollow for, for a while. I've been sitting on Sleepy Hollow for a really <laughs> long time, people, and I have no one to talk to about it. You know, not only do I not have anyone to talk to about it, but I don't have like my my friends who would like indulge me by listening to me talk about it even if they did not care as they're staring at you blankly and as nodding. they're staring at me blankly and nodding and like that's what i need fair enough man so that was all the all i wanted to say about the the star worshiping is this interesting lens to look at story and making you interested in character because even if they are not otp uh there is that potential for relationship that potential yeah. for passion that is inspiring and it is uh, a fascinating thing, and I and I do feel like a lot of the early disparag- disparagement of of shipping was, uh, you know, similar to to attacks on Mary Sue's or in fan fiction, this like attacking a feminine uh, a feminine, feminine quality, right? That it's it's women allegedly want stories about relationships, and that is less narratively important than stories about spacemen solving engineering problems. Uh, as the Hugos have talked. Well, I think about it myself. Like, it was, I think it was actually Farscape that made me finally come to terms with the fact that I am and always have been and always will be a shipper. <laughs> um, I couldn't, it was John and Aaron. My love for John and Aaron is just too, too strong. Well, should, should we just jump right into that? Well, I mean, we can, absolutely. I'm just saying that it, like, it took me a long time to actually kind of say, I am a shipper. Okay. And I always have been a shipper. And I always will be a shipper. <laughs> Well, let's 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 just jump into that. It, it's you've not been able to talk about Farscape on your podcast. I've not. I know, month. right? Although I have had people coming into my office noticing. So, for those listeners at home, I have uh, in my office a wonderful anniversary present that Lehman had made for me a couple of years ago, with uh, the final scene of Farscape depicted with our faces and our baby and our baby in in the John and Aaron pose. And uh, I have it in my office, and I have had in the last, like, week, like, three or four people come into my office and comment on it, of whom I don't think, I think maybe one actually recognized it as from Farscape, <laughs> and so then I had to explain it, and then I had to see the look of, like, oh, you're even more of a nerd than we thought you were. Um, <laughs> that's all right. That's cool. There we go. Uh, so let's talk about that chipper dip, because that's that's a relationship that, in season one, as far as I could tell, the actors kind of decided upon. Well, I think it's, a, it, it's an example did. of like, yeah, I think the actors definitely, well, it's okay. It's an example of, it's what Sleepy Hollow could have done, right? Okay. So Sleepy Hollow is an ex- is this show where you had these two characters that maybe were not intended to have any 
really strong romantic relationship, but the chemistry was so intense. And uh, at least uh, Tom Meeson, uh, who played Ichabod Crane, as far as I can tell from, like, the interviews I've seen with him, he's playing it as a romantic. Like, he's sure. playing it as the character is undoubtedly in love with Abby. And the writers just refused to act on it, and it killed the show. I think that the refusal of the... And the writers, like, the showrunner also changed over a couple of times, I think, in Sleepy Hollow. But the, like, the flat-out refusal of the writers to act on that relationship just killed what worked about the show because they they wouldn't act on that chemistry and so they separated those two characters or sent um, them into different dimensions or sent them into different dimensions and uh and just it's hard to make that sustainable uh because you know the storylines were too ridiculous to be sustained without that like core human emotion yes um, and I think that's the other thing relationships do, right? Is that relationships, especially in science fiction or genre stuff, they take what could be incredibly heightened, unrealistic concepts and ground them in a kind of shared humanity. That we might not, you know, to go back to Farscape, we might, be, might not be able to get wormholes and like all, I mean, Farscape is just such an outlandish show with that that often like it really felt like the writers were just throwing stuff at the screen to see what would stick yeah that the i think the reason that farscape had to have such a central romance is that it made it in you know in all the talk about wormholes and scorpius and scarens and peacekeepers it made it a love story and it made it a story about finding home and family in an alien world. And I think, and you know, I, I think that is something that everyone can relate to. Well, and that's fascinating because, okay, so that, 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 cause that opens up a whole other but, conversation. Uh, sorry. About, oh, oh, go ahead. Well, that opens up a conversation about if it is a fundamentally a, a love story, then what about shows that aren't or don't see themselves that way? Oh, fair enough. Well, that's okay. Well, let's get back to that. But, just to to say to again draw that parallel with Sleepy Hollow, so Farscape is a is a show that began where they had no intention of getting John and Aaron together, at least not so quickly, sure. and at least not, you know, at the very beginning, it wasn't they weren't saying, oh, we're gonna set out to write the greatest science fiction romance of ever all of all time, or that this is going to be a story about these people finding love. But you had two actors who had incredible chemistry and you had, you know, a set where from all I can tell, everyone was given a lot of leeway to kind of do whatever they wanted to do. And there sure. was a lot of like creativity and improvising going on. Um, and you had two actors who just decided to play. We are uh, the, the actors actually talk in one of the audio commentaries about how, like, in their minds, John and Aaron were sleeping together offset, like all the time. Yeah. Like offstage that they just like had this sexual relationship. Um, and that's one of the, and that again makes the Farscape romance so fascinating because this is a, a show where the main characters do in canon sleep together about two thirds of the way through the first season. And it's not really discussed all that much, yeah. but it's, it's there. And it's the fact that, you know, they know that they are in love with each other. They know that they are attracted to each other, but they there's never a question of like whether they reciprocate one another's feelings, but how to actually like, what does it mean for them to have a relationship in this strange environment? And, and it comes and to, given and it their differences the and it drives the plot. Um, and I think the writers were really, really brilliant to not ignore that, but to, to finally let it happen. And they found they found incredibly creative ways to bring tension into that relationship, which can only work in science fiction. Like when you, for example, decide to split your protagonist into two people so that one <laughs> of them can get together with the uh, the love interest and the other does not. Um, that is certainly a solution to yes. not wanting to get. But they were able to. They were able to play even in the. I mean, I would say the second season. There's a good chunk of the second season where like. Uh, I think even the actors talk about how they tried 
to keep them apart, like find excuses to keep them apart. Oh, I see. When they could, uh, because they didn't want to move the, the romance along. But they still, even in that second season where they were trying for, you know, many episodes to, to find reasons to separate them or not keep them together, they still devoted huge, like the central episodes, uh, like the central plot, like meta plot heavy episodes of season two. As much as they function on revealing Scorpius's character or revealing the plan of the Scarens, um, or the, the the ongoing tensions and war between Scarens and Peacekeepers, they also drive forward the plot of John and Aaron. Well, and the show was also good because it maintained multiple complex relationships. Yeah, right. It's absolutely. not just their romance. No. You have the Jonna and Dargo relationship, but you also have the John and Dargo relationship. You have the John and Scorpius relationship. Like, you know, there's a lot of complex... John and Scorpius relationship, super sexual. John, John and Harvey relationship. Yeah. Uh, well, no, absolutely. And I think, again, it's what makes Farscape so interesting and dynamic is that it is it is definitely a show. It's one of the first science fiction shows that played really creatively with relationships that yeah. does, that said we're going to put a bunch of like people and aliens on a spaceship and that's going to lead to some weird stuff. There's John and Shiana stuff. Yeah. Like there is definite sexual, like, like John and Aaron drive that show, but there is massive sexual tension between John and Shiana on both sides. Right? Like, I mean, Shiana's clearly like, maybe in love with is too strong a word, but deeply attracted to John the entire series from the time she comes onto the ship. And yes. they, 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 they do finally get to sleep together. So, sort of. Um, sh- she manages to take John Crichton's virginity in a way that only Farscape can do. But, um, you know, so there's the, there's the John and Shanna relationship. There's the John and Zahn relationship. You know, there there was like a weird sexual tension that it looked like they were trying at one point to build between Dargo and Zahn in the very first season. Um, until Chiana came in and that that, that relationship dynamic that dynamic changed. But um yeah, it is I mean, there's the Aaron and Pilot relationship, which is and so it was just I think we sometimes get sidetracked into thinking shipping has to be a purely romantic thing. But I think it just also speaks to how human beings relate to one another. Well, and it's what we would eventually see with Firefly, right? Like, Firefly, yeah. Firefly got, you know, Firefly followed the Farscape model differently from, say, like, the Star Trek model. You know, Star Trek model, you have a similar size of cast. Yeah. But it's a cast kind of dispersed among a larger crew, right? And you don't have this idea of them all just being kind of trapped together. Yeah. And have to kind of figure things out. And, and you have these very well, tight relationships. Well, and they're more statics, right? Yes. And I think what's interesting is relationships bring dynamism. Relationships bring conflict and bring tension. And typically in Star Trek, the conflict came from outside, well, and, and yeah. the, the conflicts were external and the crew was solving them, but very rarely were plots driven in Star Trek by conflicts that arose from within the existing relationships in the crew. No, and I, and I really, I want to look at, I, th- I feel like we can even narrow this episode to like the, you know, these major sci-fi shows now. Um, cause next Is this going to be just Farscape <laughs> versus Star Trek and how they handle relationships? Well, I think, I think we can look at Star, I think we look at the two Star Treks that we watched. Yeah. And, and then Babylon 5. Oh, okay. So Star Trek Next so Generation. So relationships in space opera television? Sex, sex, loves, sex, love, and aliens? Sure. I think I, I think I have that book. Oh, do you? <laughs> it might be about Farscape. Because um, yeah, it's next... Sex, Love, and Killer Muppets. Oh, that works. I think that might be my book I have. And on maybe Farscape. that'll be our episode title now. Indeed. Uh, Next Generation, you know, started with episode one with like this bizarre like ship that that, that kind of they it felt very ham fisted and it which is uh, the um, is that the Riker Troy? That's the Riker Troy and yeah. Zani or whatever. Weird, like, like they like they, they lost their virginities to well, each like, other. Well, they were or like something? psychically linked somehow okay. and could communicate, and then that was completely dropped <laughs> fairly early right. on. Um, and by the way, I recognize that I keep using the phrase losing virginity and i recognize that that is a a fraught phrase uh laden with many patriarchal overtones merely using it in in the colloquial yes phrasing in which it 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 exists duly problematized thank you i do what i can i do what i can and so next generation had very few ships i suppose the the best the greatest romance was between uh jordy and data and even that was yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even even that was not really brought to his uh, truest f- 
uh, fulfilling until the Twitter account Star Trek Season Seven. <laughs> it's wait, I don't know about this. All I know is that all I know is that Lavar Burton and what's Spiner? yes are on Twitter. Oh yeah, and like interact on Twitter frequently. Well, there's that. No, but there's uh, so there was a Twitter account which has now been made into like an official book, which okay. is Star Star Trek Season Seven, which is just plot synopses of fictional episodes from a season seven of Star Trek. Wow, it's like. It was like, no, Captain Picard, you know, gets into a philosophical debate with a mountain. Jordy and Data have a camp out. <laughs> I'm still really sad that when I saw LeVar Burton at the Toronto Comic-Con, I did not ask him whether the Jordy data relationship was a, 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 a prefiguring of the oh, Abed-Troy relationship. relationship. Uh, or, or if that, if he thought that the Abed Troy relationship was an intentional harkening back parallel. to Data and Troy. Brett Spiner just made some very strange jokes at me. At you? Yeah. What did you? What did you do? Well, he saw my little like ask me about sci-fi fantasy pin when I was selling him. Oh, Brent Spiner, like when he was in Toronto. Yeah. I thought he was like doing things at you on Twitter. No, 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 no. This confused. was this was this was in person. Yes, he he, okay. he saw my pin. And was like, so what is your favorite science fiction show? I was like, Star Trek: Next Generation, sir. <laughs> Um, I should have said Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Uh, gotcha. Uh, but, but an actual relationship that, while I don't know if we can say whether it drove the plot, definitely colored the plot, was the Crusher-Picard relationship. Yeah. They had this, they, they gave them, from very beginning, this, this pre-existing relationship Mm -hmm. based on his friendship with her husband and, like, feeling responsible for, like, the husband's death, uh, and this bizarre, like, becoming a father figure to, to... Uh, Will Wheaton, Wesley, uh, and and that kind of like fell away. But then towards the end, they 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 sort of came back to it. And by the time you get to all good things, they reference the fact that they have been married and divorced. Like like future. Really? I have future. not actually. I have not actually. Uh, so seen oh okay. That final and, and, and all good things, you know, they they you have Picard and essentially Picard is in season one Picard, present Picard, and then like oh, twenty okay. years into the future Picard. Right when he's like retired and sell it like making oh, wow. wine or something uh but they they referenced like he meets up with crusher and they like refer to wow. having been married so that it, wow but, so it was I, I i like it because it was subtle it was acknowledged it was played yeah. with but it, it it wasn't that same sort of driving thing um as opposed to kind of the 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 troy Riker thing felt forced and then that kind of fell away and then they did the sort of troy wharf thing for a yeah. while oh i thought the troy wharf thing was very interesting and then Worf went on. And then Worf went on D Space Nine, and like I never quite understood Worf and Dax. It, I so mean, here's the thing. Okay, yeah. here's the thing. I am a shipper, dear writers of science <laughs> yeah. fiction media. It does not take much to get me invested in a romantic yes. relationship. I couldn't figure out Worf and and, and Dax. Well, I, yeah, and again, there's... I was actually fairly invested in Dax Bashir. I am probably, if anything, oh. <laughs> a Dax Bashir shipper, mostly because I had a major crush on Doctor Bashir as a teenager and like wanted to be Jadzia Dax. Yeah, as a teenager, yeah. and so like, there's a lot of adolescent psychological weirdness going on in that but be that as it may whereas, if i am anything <laughs> that is the sh- that is my star trek shipperdom in whereas in i mostly show. shipped uh bashir and garrick so <laughs> that's that's how that works uh but, but but like in that show you had the relationship uh, the, i suppose the big ship relationship of that because uh, cassidy yates and cisco whatever like no, that's no. fine uh, but was the Kira and Kira Odo. and Odo, yeah, yeah. And that relationship went into interesting but ways. But that never, they never should have gotten together. Like it worked so much better as unrequited love. It did, it did and when they were together, it just yeah, it got it got strange and, and weird. Although much better than Kira Dukat, and I ha- I know there are people out there listening <laughs> who creepily ship that, and you should feel ashamed of yourself, Randy. Um, <laughs> That is wrong. Doesn't Randy specifically ship like Mirrorverse, the Mirrorverse versions of them? No, it's the 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 regular versions. He he, like Mirrorverse Kira is its own other thing, so we should just get away from it. Okay, but here's here let's talk about that because this is something Deep Space Nine was able to do that Next Generation didn't do. Again, I don't think any Star Trek series ever, Brian Fuller, if you're listening, please try. Um, but I don't think any Star Trek series has ever managed to do romance well. Um, really? Yeah. Um, but Deep Space Nine at least began to unpack and explore what human relationships could be. Yeah. 
No, that's right? true. Right? And, and so you are, by human, I should say person. That's right. Person, <laughs> sentient relationships. Sentient relationships could be. And I think Kira Dukat is a brilliant example of that. I mean, mm. that's probably my favorite relationship on the show. Well, they got if they didn't get romance right, they did get like interpersonal conflict and interpersonal dynamics really well. Like yeah. that's the big thing that the show I think like the, the friendship between Miles and Bashir. Yeah, you know, well, there's so many that you can and and, and like even Cisco and, um, Cisco and Dax's relationship or or Cisco and Dax absolutely, but even Kira and Dax. Yeah, I mean they they yeah. had two female characters. And at some point, they made them friends, yeah. and they just did things together. True. Right? And they didn't, like, super call attention to it, but these were the two main women in the cast, and they just they quiet, were They friend. quietly they backdelled just, them. Basically. <laughs> basically. And, like, I mean, I think that's fairly, like, that's fairly significant. Now that we're talking about one uh, bus station in space, let's go now and look at the other. So Babylon 5. Mm. Uh, the big relationship in that, well, the two big, I guess the two big relationships of that are Dude Bro and Alien Girl. <laughs> I, have, I haven't watched it in a while. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Boxlider Box and, and Mira, Mira uh, Delin from yes, Lost. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> no, not Delin from Lost. She's Delin on Babylon 5. She's, uh, oh. R- Rory Gilmore on Rousseau. Lost. Rousseau. Rousseau on Lost. <laughs> I fail. Um, I fail. I've got to go serve eggs to college students in a bit. The uh, so that yes. relationship, and then uh, so that's the main that's the main romantic relationship. Uh, and... Br- British McBeardy and Russian girl. What the the British guy with like the stick who hits people who and <laughs> and and Russian girl who Ivanova. <laughs> Wait what Wait oh. British dude. Brit- you know what I'm talking about. Beardy <laughs> British dude. You know what you're talking about. Or was he Welsh? British, I don't British, mean to... British dude who stepped out of a J.R.R. Tolkien novel <laughs> yes. because apparently J. Michael Straczynski was like super I need a fantasy story. <laughs> I need a fantasy story in space. So in season three, we're going to bring Strider shows up. We're going to bring in, yes, Strider and the, and the, rain, the, literally the, the Rangers. Literally the Rangers. I know. I know. I know. I know. Oh, King Arthur love, was on that show, okay? And Jack I the Ripper. I love that show, but I do not pretend it is a good show in any way. Yeah, but but that's interesting because Ivanova, that's another example of unrequited love. Yeah. Right? And Ivanova also was supposed to be the gay character. Yes, that's right. Right? I mean, it it's because she was supposed to have that relationship with the telepathic character in oh, the first yeah, like, yeah, season yeah. and a half. Um so, and I think it was it was our friend Andrew pointed out like as bad as the tele um Telepath. Telepath storyline is in season five. And if you have not watched Babylon 5, just don't watch the first half of season five. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there as a like general principle for your life. There you go. Um, But as bad as Byron was with his like 90s hair and goth <laughs> clothing and like weird telepathic cult um, and his weird love story. Because th- there's another love story with uh, Lita. Who was oh. the the like took up took over the telepathic right, storyline right, right, after right, Ivanova right. after Ivanova left fake, the show? Yeah, because fake the um, showed, or fake Ivanova showed up. Fake Ivanova right. showed up, or not fake Ivanova? Fake Ivanova did show up. Who was um like ended up being Bruce Boxleitner's like second wife yeah. or something, oh, or first okay. wife or something right. like that? Um, who took over command of Babylon Five? She was fake Ivanova. But then there was another character who came on to take over the telepath storyline. Oh, oh, right, 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 um, right. Which Ivanova should have done. Yes. Being like the latent telepath yeah. that she was. Um, and had that weird romance with Byron. That's right. When they were having like the standoff with Babylon 5. And um, our f- friend pointed out, like, just imagine what that storyline had been had it been uh, Ivanova and... Winter. Yeah, Talia. Talia Winter. And I'm like, oh, that would have been a much more interesting story. But yeah, so it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting to have that be one of the examples of romance on Babylon 5 when the Ivanova's romance would likely have been with Talia Winter had that actress been around, been around and not left the show. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother thing on Babylon 5 is the like, Enter, like that that it was it was serialized television made in a period of television when you could still just get rid of actors. <laughs> That's um, true. 
and what that what that did to the the planned storylines. But yeah, I mean the main the main romance on that show Londo is... and Jakar, I agree. <laughs> well, no. Let's talk about Londo and Jakar because that is a great like how much of this has to be romantic and how much of it is just interesting relationships. Precisely. Well, and just right? powerful intimate and and you get those great conflicts like the Quark and Odo, like yeah. yeah. Oh, Quark and Odo. We didn't even mention Quark and Odo. Well, so again, it's just like what what Deep Space Nine did so well. So yeah. many good pairings. Oh yeah. Um, and people, and it did what Firefly did. Like Firefly just did really brilliantly, which is have each character had relationships with the other characters that were unique to that pairing, right? Yes. You know, Cisco's relationships with Dax was different than Cisco's relationships with, relationship with Kira. Yes. And um, Bashir had a relationship with Dax that was different than his relationship with Miles that was different than his relationship with Garrick. Oh, yeah. Um. So, I just how people relate to one another in complicated ways. But yeah, so Babylon 5, I think Jakar, I mean, Jakar and Londo make that show. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like you just you could just watch that show just for the trajectory of their <laughs> respective characters, right? Two people who begin as just embittered rivals and enemies from, I mean, okay, they are the space Israelis and the space Palestinians. Let's be honest. Uh, yes, they, yes. They are. yes basically um and like managed to come to a place of like forgiveness and acceptance and allyship and and ultimately that that becomes fractured through londo's actions but that their friendship remains and it's just it's it's moving and it's Portrayed by the only two people on that show who can act. And, well, and it goes from being sort of like with Odo like, and Quark, like it goes from being sort of cartoonish and comical to very serious and 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 yeah. again there's that there's this beautiful intimacy that works really, really well. Yeah. Uh and it's funny that we keep sort of going to and talking about these like you know, these these fascinating dynamic relationships between men, and we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of that in with with women in sci fi. I mean, there's we're getting there and and I'm yeah. Well, it's my one, it's my big criticism of Farscape, which is that Farscape had all these amazing female characters and never really built strong relationships between them. Mm. Right? Like, I mean, Farscape had, if you look at the fourth season of Farscape in particular, there's John and Dargo and Rigel and Scorpius. But then, like the the re- there's uh, um, Sokozu and Aaron and Shiana and uh, who's the little like herb woman? Oh yeah, Granny uh, Naranti. Yes. Um. So like, and, and through the course of the show, Farscape managed to have a number of really strong, interesting women, but they never did a good job of building relationships between. They were always sort of at odds with each other. Yeah. Um, and, and Aaron and Shiana, I think, had good reasons for, and they're, they're kind of the two women who stick through the longest. Um, and by, like, by kind of the end of the fourth season, I think they were really building a relationship. But it, yeah, it's, it's my criticism of that show, which again, goes back to the Deep Space Nine and the fact that they actually had Dax and Kira have a positive relationship but they didn't like ever really explore it in depth no, it's just and, that they and and the big antagonistic relationship between women on that show was uh Kira versus Kai Wen. Yeah. I mean, it was Kai Wen versus yeah. everyone but that yeah. specifically like it comes close. And I mean Kai Wen was never a big regular on the show until later and again not to the same degree as like Dukat and yeah. and Kira but yeah it, it, that that interesting kind of antagonism pairing we've I can't think of that on the same level of a you know, of Babylon 5 yeah. or, or something like that. And that'll be interesting to see. And we're very excited because star- next Star Trek is going to be filming in Toronto. Brian Fuller is the showrunner. Brian Fuller is the showrunner. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm really excited to see how they use the, the Royal York Hotel. You have no York idea. I'm, to... I'm jumping up and down on the couch right now because I'm so excited that there's going to be a space opera show and Brian Fuller is the showrunner. But really, the greatest romance in all of television, sci-fi and none, the true ship to rule them all, is from a show that we introduced to some students tonight and shocked them, and only that show. The Mountie introdu- Show. That 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 would be the the relationship between Brendan Fraser or Brendan, what's his name? Brent, Benton Fraser. Benton Fraser and Defenbaker. Uh, actually. Oh, excuse me. 
Uh, I I still have. It occurs to me like right now that I still haven't actually like though the DVDs are sitting there on the shelf staring at me. I haven't actually finished that show ever. Oh, but apparently in the the like final ep- like towards the end because uh, it's another example of a show where they replaced the main character. Yes, <laughs> different actor, and they managed to pull it off with the whimsy of like the first. Ray yes. was undercover with like the mafia, so they had second Ray who was playing <laughs> the same character, but very obviously a different Callum actor. From Callum Keithrey from Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. Uh, and apparently, apparently, there is like legitimate due south fandom shipping of Benton Fraser and Second Ray. Well, there we go. And apparently they go off together in the end. <laughs> they and ride into the sunset. It is kind of. And so like you joke. There we go. But apparently it's another, like... So, I don't know. Where are we at with this? That there is something to be said. So, I guess what we began this conversation with that we haven't really... We we sort of went into looking at the dynamics of human relationships in these shows. But what about, like, that phenomenon of trying to bring together characters who were not canonically... Meant to be? Met, well, like, linked together in a romantic way. Well, what I'm hearing from you is that it's it's almost less that they didn't create Ichababi officially on the show, but that, that there, was, there wasn't enough left from the show without Ichababi there. Yeah. Right? Well, and again, it's funny because I keep hearing myself on this podcast talk about, like, you know, let's look at relationships. They don't have to just be romantic. And yet I'm so angry that they didn't leave room for Ichababi to be... A thing. A thing. But again, it's when that... When that energy and chemistry is there and the actual creators of the content aren't acting on it you can see why fan communities would want to respond to that and would want to fill in that gap that seems like it's it's not because i was i was kind of getting in a conversation with a friend about this the other day our friend alice who may or may not be listening about how like fan fiction in its best form because shipping is a is tied into fan fiction right and fan fiction in its best form is just a different sort of literary analysis. Okay. It's just another way of saying, like, here's how I'm reading this text, here how here's how I'm responding to this text, and here's how I'm I'm midrashing almost on these characters and what I think about them. And so if if audiences are perceiving an energy around a certain relationship in a work of fiction and want to create more works of fiction where that relationship is explored. I don't. This seems like a legit thing. Well, once the new Star Trek comes out, we can return to this and talk about who we ship. Brian Fuller can do romance, dude. As, if Will and Hannibal taught us nothing, <laughs> if Granimal taught us nothing. <laughs> There we go. Well, thank you all. Uh, apologies for uh, our tardiness. Uh, we will uh, try to do better. Uh, but it, uh, as we've said, it's been a, a busy time. So yes. uh, thank you all from the world of Faith Family and... Phantom. Thank you. This, that's how long it's been. I forgot <laughs> our outro. Help us. Uh, from the world of Faith Family and Fandom, geek out, y'all.
and beautiful sung melodies I wish I could fulfill But I lack such talent to compose songs So I fall back on our friend Pachelbel You stir my mind and heart A joy I can't conceal but songs I pen can never tell you how I truly feel I want to dance and sing out loud So that everyone can see my love within I wish I could write you a song So that all the world would want to join in Express my full feelings when I see you. But all I have is this simple song with trite lyrics and a couple of who's. You know it's just for you. Really?